My name is Kevin Hines. I jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. I believed that I had to die, but I lived. Today, I travel the world with my lovely wife, Margaret, sharing stories of people who have triumphed over incredible adversity. Now, we help people be here tomorrow. Welcome to the Hindsights Podcast. What is Kraken Hope Nation? It is your friendly neighborhood, Kevin Hines. And today I am joined by an amazing human being, a service member, a bit of a genius himself, chief of police of Panola Police Department. He's a keynote speaker, an officer of wellness, creator of the Asher Model, CPCA Officer Wellness Committee Chair and Board of Directors Region 6 Representative. And he is the host of the Six Pillar Podcast. Please, please give a warm welcome to Chief Neil Gang. Wow, Kevin, uh, thank you very much. I have to go back, though. Genius, I don't want to disappoint your, uh, your listener. <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, very blessed to be here. You know, Kevin, uh, you and I have been friendly for about a year now and finally get an opportunity to really, really interact with you. So I'm really blessed with the opportunity and excited to be here. Well, I'm glad, glad to have you. So let's just start off with a little bit about you. Who is Neil Gang and what has been your, if you can tell us a little bit about your life's journey. Yeah, who is Neil Gang? So this podcast is what, about four hours long or? <laughs> the, the abbreviated version. Yeah. So the only way for me to start off anything when I talk about myself is to say what my foundation is. And I'm a man of faith, right? And that just brings a lot of perspectives into what we're doing. So people say, well, you know, we ask you and you, you say you're a chief. The chief is what I do for a living. It's not who I am. But I have been in law enforcement for over 32 years now, several different agencies from the East Coast all the way down to Florida. Now I've been the police chief out in Panola, California. And for some of the listeners that don't know where that's at, that's right outside of San Francisco in the East Bay. And I've been a police chief here for about six and a half years now. Fantastic. And so you so 30 plus years in law enforcement. Can you tell us about your three decades of service and your current role as police chief in the Panola Police Department? So break down the changes you've seen in the last three decades in policing. You know, if I was to put it in a nutshell, things are so different now. You know, we've moved from paramilitary structure type of organizations where you had autocratic leaders now to business model, where now police chiefs are, are not even police chiefs anymore, more of like a CEO of a business. People that we interact with on a daily basis are our customers. You know, we, we talk about customer service and community policing, all great things. But those aren't the way it was back in the 80s when we first started law enforcement. You know, law enforcement were really just uh, silos in communities, and they were just there to police the community. There was no interactions. You really didn't, you know, pull up a chair and talk to a community member to see what they needed. They acted independently. So now we're partners. We talk about collaboration. And really, I think the biggest change in the, in the paradigm switch was we exist only because the communities need us and we are their police departments. It doesn't work the other way around anymore. And for agencies that are succeeding, they understand that. They understand the need to continue to progress, look for innovation, technology, new philosophies. So that's kind of where you see the difference in law enforcement. So from paramilitary structure in the 80s with autocratic type of leadership to CEOs of a business where leadership is all about love, right? And, and leading people and building relationships. And bringing communities together. Absolutely. Fantastic. So let's look back at your prolific career. You, you were a patrol officer in 1988 in New Jersey, a field training officer in 1991 in Florida, 
a lieutenant and canine training officer, amongst other things, in the early 2000s in Surprise, Arizona, of all places, and now chief of police in Panola, California. Can you tell us about a little more detail, the journey through all of that, kind of through your resume, if you will? Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest with you. Law enforcement wasn't a career I even dreamt about. It wasn't something I wanted to do as a kid. It was really something that came as a result of being injured playing college football. You know, that's the only thing I had in my mind at the time. But when I got injured, I had to look for something else to do. And my parents made a deal with me. If you're not going to go to school, then you need to find a full-time job. And honestly, I'm not a guy who looks to sit behind a desk. Although, you know, funny now, because that's all I do now. Is sit behind <laughs> a desk. But, you know, I need something where I could interact with people and I can go out and have difference in, in everything that I do every day. And, and the thing for me is really about having a servant heart, going out and helping people that can't help themselves. And that's kind of been my foundation regardless of where I've moved. So in New Jersey, yeah, it was uh, all about just being a police officer, understanding what that meant. You know, going to South Florida, a lot bigger organization. I had some really great experience with being a school resource officer. That really kind of shaped my career because when you're in the schools, you know, the fact that you have a badge and the fact that you wear a gun doesn't influence behavior. You had to build relationships with those students. They're not intimidated by that. So you really have to build relationships if you want to create change. And that's really, really, I learned the foundation of what I'm doing today. You know, I was in the schools during Columbine, one of the most prolific time for school resource officers. The first time we really saw an active shooter in the school. So trying to do investigations during that time was all about relationships and helping people out and building that cohesive partnerships with the students. And even now I use that. And I say, you know, for us to go out on the street, I want you to handle it or at least think in your head, how would you handle this if you weren't carrying a gun and you weren't wearing a badge? How would you do this conflict resolution without those tools? And that's really, really helps our perspective when it comes to de-escalation and finding new ways to kind of deal with things. So after Florida, I went out to Arizona and it was really a, a small organization when I went out there. One of the fastest growing cities um, in the entire nation from the year 2001 to 2010 we went from about 34, 35 officers to about 150 officers in that span of time. And that's really where I got into canine and, and got into canine training. Some of the things for me, Kevin, is, is I always look to find out the best, right? So we were getting our dogs from some vendor, wasn't really, really happy with the quality of dogs we were getting. So what does Neil do? I research and I decide I'm going to open my own business. I fly to Europe, not knowing anybody. And I just network and I go around and start buying dogs. And I end up creating a really good, successful business where I imported and sold police dogs for many years. So that was part of it. And then, you know, for me, moving up in rank really wasn't about a desire. Like I wanted to be a police chief or I wanted to be a lieutenant. It was really, I learned a lot from poor leadership of saying, I could do this better and I can present more leadership, more effective leadership, and I could build relationships. And that's really what created me to become what I am today, you know, become a leader in this profession. And if I was to sit down and, and say, hey, I'm going to write a book about leadership, I really would scroll down. I put one page in my book in the middle of that book would be relationships. And that's to me, that's everything what it means to leader, to be a leader and about leadership. Well, just to be clear, I would read that book in a heartbeat. I hope you someday do write that book because I'll be glad to check it out. Uh, yes, thank you. So on to a more an impactful part of your your life and career, something that, that changed you immensely and, and pushed you on a particular path to create something. Your friend and colleague, police officer Asher Walensky died from suicide and you created the Asher model. Can you tell us what is the Asher model? Well, tell us who, who Asher Walensky was. What is the Asher model and how does it work and why is it so important? 
Sure. Thank you for that segue. So back in the late 90s, 97, I was working in Pembroke Pines, Florida, which is in South Florida, right outside of Hollywood, Florida in Broward County. And, you know, I I was working with a buddy of mine. I, I went to the academy with this individual in Florida. I was actually in his wedding. Just a really, really astute officer, really, really squared away, ex Marine, good father. And, you know, I get a call in the middle of the night. It's like three in the morning. And uh, you're probably a little bit too young for this, but we used to have actually had phones in our houses back then. They weren't cell phones. So when you had a phone ring, it rung your entire house because typically every room had a, had a phone. It woke me up in the middle of sleep and I got someone screaming on the line saying, Asher is dead. Asher is dead. And he repeats it one more time. He says, Asher is dead. And Kevin, it was like inaudible. Like I didn't know who it was. And, and I'm thinking to myself, what are you talking about? We're all off. We work the same team. What's he talking about? And then I started getting my senses together. I'm starting to wake up and I'm going, well, maybe he was working an off-duty job and he ended up dying in the light of duty. You know, a risk we all know that we take, you know, when we get sworn in, we know that that's a possibility. And he goes, no, no, you don't understand. He died. He shot himself. And I go, what? And I just, I remember sitting in my bed, Kevin, I go, and what he? You know, back in the 90s, no one heard about police suicide. No one talked about police suicide. And I go, okay, you know what? I'm trying to process this all, but it was such a short turnaround because I, I don't know if you know, but in the Jewish religion, if you die, you need to be buried by the Sabbath. Well, this happened on a Thursday night, late night, Friday morning. He needed to be buried by the next day. So everything happened so quick. I remember going into work the next day and, and it was for my regular job. And the most profound thing happened to me in my career. Kevin, when it comes to officer wellness. And I typically ask people when I talk about it, what do you think that was? And, but I'll, I'll abbreviate this and tell you what happened. What happened was the most profound thing was nothing, nothing, not a conversation. No one spoke about it. We went into the briefing room. We sat down. I remember a sergeant coming out of the sergeant's office to give us our assignments and our meal periods and not a mention of Asher, not a mention of what happened, not a, me- a mention of anything. I'm sitting there. I remember sitting in the briefing room and I'm sitting, I'm going, okay, the chief's going to come in and talk to us. No. I remember some, maybe a chaplain's going to come in, somebody from crisis, the awareness type of individual come in. No. Nothing. Yeah. So just to make a, a long story short, because I know we only have a short time together, but the whole point is, is that nothing happened. You know, the landscaping of policing back then, there was no peer support. There wasn't CISM. There wasn't counseling. There wasn't really anything. But I remember walking out that day and I remember sitting in my patrol vehicle before I went 10-8, which is going on the street. And I sat back and I said, you know what? I think I'm a pretty strong, emotional guy, but I'm suffering here. And there's just no answers. Why did something happen? Why did this happen? And no one's talking about it. And I remember sitting there and saying, if I ever get an opportunity to lead in a position to lead this profession, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to change how we approach these type of events. Instead of sweeping them under the rug because we're embarrassed or the agency's embarrassed, I'm going to actually bring this out into the open. So I've been carrying that on my heart for all these years, Kevin. And that was, like I said, in, you know, almost 25 years ago. And then recently with the rise in, in police suicides and, and a lot more conversation happening, I met Dr. David Black of Cortico. I don't know if you've met him yet. And we sat down and had lunch and, and I shared him this story and I told him what I want to do. And he said, you need to write something. You need to write an article. You need to do something. And I'm like, I don't do that. That's not who I am. And I'm not interested. And what happened was, is that sometimes when you want to do something, but the Lord has something else to put on your heart, it doesn't make a difference what you want to do. Well, I was awoken about three o'clock in the morning one day and wide awake. And I put this Asher model together in about 20 or 25 minutes, believe it or not. Not a whole lot of thought. It just that everything was on my heart. and, And I do believe there was some divine intervention to help me create this. But really, it's just a, a seven-point approach to creating a culture of wellness in your organization. 
you know, and, and the points are number one is awareness. You have to create awareness, right? Where it's okay not to be okay. That environment, I know that's getting cliche, but it's not only that, but it's okay to not be okay, but we need to bring people back to okay. And how are we going to do that? Right. And then having a solution focused approach, whatever that may be, you know, for us, it was a mobile app. So we could put resources in our employees' hands 24, seven, 365. It was the cortical wellness app. And we just thought that was the most comprehensive way of bringing resources to our employees. And then three was peer support, creating a proactive peer support team. So you can have people out there to help people in crisis. And then Four is teaching people, educating them on resiliency, what that even looks like. You know, deep breathing exercises, yoga for first responders, the difference between PTSD, PTSI, you know, systems like sleep deprivation and how that affects you. Teaching them on social intelligence and why you react to certain things the way you do and teaching them social intelligence in regards to trauma and what that looks like. And then five was healthy habits. Pretty simple. Providing an opportunity, we created a workout place in our facility. It used to be a Sally port filled with uh, junk and, and storage, and now it's a $50,000 fitness facility that we were able to create an opportunity for people to work out on duty, which is so important, right, to lower those cortisol levels and be able to de-stress. And then we designed a, a meal prep partnership with a local company, bringing healthy meals so the officers have healthy meals 24-7, 365. So on a late night, you don't have to go through a drive through to get a meal. You can go into our refrigerator and get yourself a nice, fresh, clean, healthy meal. Good gut to brain health. Yeah, absolutely. And then the last two are our spirituality. And I know a lot of people don't want to talk about that, but I, I'm a very spiritual person. I'm a man of faith. But developing you know, a police chaplain program where they're actually a part of your community, your law enforcement community, they're a fabric of your community, not just a, a side program where they come in and ride when someone's having a crisis, but then they're so used to being around the, the police department and people are comfortable with them. And then we started something with our community called Pray With The Police. And pre-COVID, we would meet with everybody, anybody that wanted to come, all denominations, we didn't care what your religion was, but we, want, we met at the uh, public safety building around the flagpole and we pray for our community and our country and, of course, the safety of all first responders. And then number seven was the biggest one, Kevin, and this is probably where it will tie into a lot of what you're talking about, family, right? Getting families involved from the orientation process forward. You know, typically in law enforcement, they would say you have a family life and you have your personal life and they don't ever interact. That couldn't be further from the truth. And that was the old school way of thinking. We had supervisors tell you, leave that side, that part of your life at home when you come to work. We all know that can't happen, right? Right. That's impossible. So they interact with each other and they affect how you are at work. But now, so we bring our family members in from the orientation process forward. They come through, they get a tour of the building, they get to see their loved ones, and they even get a chance to go through our uh, real life shoot, don't shoot scenario system. And then I meet with each family individually. And I meet with them individually because I want to talk to them about the importance of mental health, that their employees, their loved ones are going to change over the next several years because of this profession. And when they come to work, they're going to mask their emotions, right? And they're going to say, I'm fine. I'm great. Everything is good. But when they're at home is when their guards are going to be down. And that's where the red flags will show. And unless I champion these family members to feel comfortable to contact us or contact somebody to let them know that their loved one's struggling, we're going to continue to see police suicides. So now we create that opportunity for them to come in, make phone calls, get in touch with our peer support people, build that relationship with them so they can feel comfortable when they see a red flag to make a phone call and pick up the phone. And then before each family member leaves, I gave them a copy of Emotional Survivor by Kevin Gilmartin. It's a book. Yep. And then the other thing I do is every single family member 
gets the same exact mobile wellness app that the employee gets. So they have the same resources that those employees have. And then again, of course, teaching and educating our employees from rookie to retirement, right? And one of the biggest things I'm seeing now is financial elements, where financial fitness is, just has not been approached or addressed in our profession. Yet we hire 20, 21-year-old kids who are making minimum wage, and now they're making 60, 70, and out in the Bay Area, 80, $100,000. They don't know how to manage their money. But yet financial fitness is so important, right? It creates anxiety, depression, if you're not dealing with it properly. So now we bring people throughout the organization, and we have them teach them on financial fitness and what that looks like and help strategize so they can have enough money so they can retire. One of the things you see in the profession right now is a lot of retirees are dying by suicide. That should never happen. Now they're dedicating their lives to this profession for 20, 25 years, and then they're dying by suicide. That's ridiculous. We need to do something. We need to be passionate about it, intentional about it. We need to change outcomes when it comes to police suicide. So that's kind of this approach. I know it's a kind of a shortened version, but it's a multifaceted, multi-level approach because not everything is going to resonate with everybody. You know, Kevin, you may think that uh, yoga for first responders is great for you, where someone else is going to go, I'm not going to do yoga. It doesn't work for me. You may believe that sleep deprivation is something that's important to you. Someone else may not. But if you have these multi-level, multifaceted approaches, you're hoping you'll have something in this program that will resonate and create a culture of wellness. Because if your wellness program is just a program and you're just checking off a box, you're going to fail and someone's going to end up losing their life. That's why you have to create this cultural awareness and create an organizational health program. Fantastic. Well, the work you're doing is amazing. You know, you wrote in one of your articles, and this is a quote from you, fast forward to 2019, so much technology, so much awareness, yet more officers still die by suicide than all other in-line-of-duty deaths combined, citing that a recent study discovered that every 44 hours, an officer dies by suicide by their hand. How does this whole number affect you personally? And how does it affect the officers you command? Well, I think it's important. I mean, 2019, we lost 228 officers that died by suicide. So die by their own hands. So that number alone is really concerning, right? But the experts, Kevin, are saying that it's underreported by a factor of 2.5. Oh, wow. So kind of just take that and let that resonate with you for a minute and think about that. So over 500 officers in our country are dying by their own hands. It's alarming. It's an epidemic. and It's something that we need to do to create Uh, changes in our outcomes. So we have to have some progressive approaches, innovative approaches to stop those things from happening. I mean, like what you read, it's double the amount of officers die by their own hands typically than all of the line of duty's deaths. Yet what do you see in the news? Officer maybe died in a car collision. He died in maybe a shooting or maybe a heart attack, a medical thing. But yet nothing is addressed with police suicide because it's taboo. No one wants to address it. That's why we have to have leaders in our profession partner with people like you, Kevin, who's bringing so much awareness to this issue that we need to partner together to bring out the message and we need to continue with the message and get it as far as wide as we can. So the most amount of ears can hear what we're talking about. And hopefully, hopefully just one of these stories will change an outcome. Mm, Absolutely. Can you tell us a story about a situation involving a crisis throughout your, your career where you would have liked to see a different outcome what could have been done differently in a situation that you can describe that you recall? So I'm going to share, and I'll add some anonymity to the story only to sure. protect some people. But in a local agency where I'm working now, last year, they lost a sergeant who died by suicide. And pretty emotional. I knew the guy personally. I had some friends that knew him very well. 
intimately aware of some of the people in the organization and, and they're great people. This individual actually showed a lot of red flags. Actually, he was asking for help and just never received the proper help. I don't think it was out of malice. I just think it was because people didn't know what to do and they didn't know how to deal with that, right? We're told in our profession, just, oh, you're okay. You'll get over it. You know, throw some dirt on it, get back in the game. And, and that's just not the way we handle things. So to me, that was a crisis. We had a potential outcome that we could have changed just by maybe taking that person in, enveloping them in our arms, getting them some resources and understanding that not everybody works the same way. Not everybody handles stress the same way. Yet, unfortunately, what happened was we end up sitting through a funeral and watching the spouse and their children lay their loved one you know, to rest. And that's something that I think could have and should have been avoided. And I think those stories are all over the place. I don't think it's exclusive to this one agency that it occurred in. And that's what I'm talking about. We need to address these things. Police leaders need to be the ones that are out in front of this. What I always ask myself, if not me, then who? Right. So if I'm not going to be the one to push this, if I'm not going to be the one to open this up and say it's okay to not be okay and share my own personal stories, then how would I expect anybody else to do that? Mm. Have you been able to help spread the Asher model to other police organizations? I have, you know, again, I'm going to go, this is a blessing that, you know, when I wrote that article, and again, it was really just writing an article to share with one person, it, it really caught on. It, it went viral. It went into ma- most of the major police publications. And as a result of that, I got offers to come speak publicly. And now I go around the country. Well, I don't think anybody goes anywhere now around the country, but through a computer now, we're doing a lot of presentations with Share the Astro Model. And what I continue to tell people is, this is not my idea. This is, I don't have a patent on this. Use this as a structure to help your own organization. I don't care if you take our name off it and throw your own name on it. Do what you need to do. But I do know that there's several organizations throughout the country that are using the Astro model now. Obviously, they made some of the text to meet their organizational needs. They put their own patch on it, their own badge on it. I think it's a real tribute to Asher and not just Asher, but for all of us that are doing such great work when it comes to raising awareness. And and Kevin, I I know people, you know, we talk about law enforcement, but we can't do this without partners from outside our profession. And that's why the partnership and your friendship has meant so much to me. Thank you very much, Chief. I appreciate that too. And the feeling is mutual. So now we talked about something you would love to have seen changed and you, you would like to have seen a different outcome in a point of crisis. But tell us about a story or situation during a crisis involving your police, one of your police departments that you've worked at that you're proud of or were happy with the outcome. Yeah, I'll, I'll share a story. And again, unfortunately, we have to use some change of stories to protect some anonymity for people. Sure. But I actually was a part of our, our peer support, our, our critical incident stress management team in another organization. We had an officer who was in crisis. You know, he got involved in, in a domestic situation and that situation, it got bad. And he wasn't living in our jurisdiction where I was working. So a local police department responded and found this individual in this crisis situation, wanting to hurt himself and, and had the capabilities of doing so. And this individual, what he asked was, before you take me to jail and, you know, different codes or different places, you know, out in California, it's 5150. Before they took him on this mental health, he said, I want to make one phone call before I allow you to take me in. And it was to me. And he shared, he, you know, Neil, I, I screwed up. This is what's happening. And I want to take my own life. I don't want to deal with this. And we were able to talk him through seeing, you know, what a future is going to look like that just because you made a mistake, just because you're broke, just because you're cracked doesn't mean you're broken. Right. And I learned that from a a good friend of mine named Kevin Hines. Um, (laughs) 
but that it's so important. And you know what? The bottom line is he, he went in, he got some help and he's, he's a flourishing, great officer now still in the profession. And I think without that phone call, without that relationship, I'm not sure where he'd be right now. Wow. Well, that's phenomenal that he's here with us and gets to continue to tell his story and be, be safe and be well. What advice do you have for anyone in law enforcement about handling a crisis that they may not have had training to handle directly? Like, you know, something that comes up that kind of catches them off guard. What advice do you have to an officer going through something like that? As somebody who's trying to give advice to that person or the person who's going through it? Someone who's trying to quell a situation that may be a little bit heightened and potentially dangerous. What advice do you give to that new officer who's kind of green and, you know, hasn't seen too much of this kind of action? Yeah, I, I think everything goes back to goes back to your training and your experiences, right? So, just because you're a brand new officer doesn't mean you have uh, didn't have other experiences. So, my advice to that person going through that crisis is to understand that you're not alone, right? You have people out there to help you, whether it's on the job or off the job. You always have somebody out there, right? Look for mentors that you can bounce things off of. You know, if you're in the middle of a crisis at work. Obviously, there are supervisors there to reach out to and get some assistance for. But take a deep breath. Understand that there are positive resolutions out there where you may not see any. And just use networking, whether it's with your supervisors, with your friends, to help you get to a resolution that's a peaceful resolution. Very good. And what advice do you have for young police officers in the times we're seeing now of political unrest and COVID-19? You know, we're, we're all going through a lot right now, whether you're a police officer or you're a civilian, whether you're in the military or you're a checker out person at the grocery store, it's been a much more difficult path for a lot of us. And there's more people talking about their mental health than ever before in this country and around the world because of this COVID crisis. What would you say to that young police officer that hasn't navigated waters like this ever before? So I think you brought up some good points there. And it's something that I coined for the leaders in our profession is trailblazer leadership, right? When was the last time that this profession has seen a global pandemic along with the political unrest that we see, along with the civil unrest when it comes to law enforcement and defending the police department? We have officers every day that just don't see any worth in in doing this job anymore. And they are leaving by the hundreds of this profession, let alone trying to get people into the profession. This is the thing I've been saying to them. And, you know, it's important for us leaders to shepherd our people through this you know, this difficult season into this new quote unquote era of policing. And we're going to get there, right? But this is the thing. I keep saying, if you're serving this profession with a servant heart, you will always be needed. You'll always be wanted and you will always be appreciated. If you're in this profession for any other reason than to serve people and be a public servant, then it's probably a good time for you to get out. But again, if your foundation is about serving people, helping people, and you have a servant's heart, you will make it through this and you will be successful and we will come out of this better than ever. Chief of Police of Panola PD, Neil Gang, thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking the time to be with me today and to share part of your story. I'm sure those who see this will be greatly appreciative of your words of wisdom and the work you've done for the last 30 plus years. I know I'm very grateful of the service you've given this country. So thank you for coming on. Really appreciate it and wish you a good day. Thank you for everything, Karen. Thank you so much. So blessed to be with you. Margaret and I love sharing stories of people who have triumphed over incredible adversity. For more content and inspiration, go to kevinhindstory.com or visit us on all social medias at Kevin Hines Story or on youtube.com slash kevinhines. <laughs>